64 of Isaiah. If you're there, say amen. amen. We're going to read tonight from the 8th verse. 64 and 8. But now, O Lord, Thou art our Father. We are the clay. Thou art our potter. We all are the work of Thy hand. We all are the work of Thy hand. This is a... A powerful statement from the prophet Isaiah that shows us in his thought and intent toward God as he desires to see God's children brought back into their homeland. In his prayer, he reminds the Lord that it is you who formed me, not I who formed you. It is you that touched me and made me what I am, not me that touched you and made you what you are. And this is important tonight from where we're going. You may be seated. I don't really have a catchy title per se for you tonight, but I want to deal, if I may, from this thought process and understanding of Isaiah. Now, the 64th chapter is actually a continuance of the prayer that Isaiah began to pray in chapter 63. And he opens up the 64th chapter, which we understand to be a continuance of a prayer by saying, Lord, that thou wouldest rend the heavens, that thou wouldest come down, that the mountains might flow down at thy presence. All of this being a reminder to God. Of the ways that he has worked in the past. The heavens being open over Sinai. And the heavens flowing down that mountain at his presence. He begins to talk to the Lord in a measure and manner. In which Jesus taught us to pray in the New Testament. Our Father which art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. I think it's important for us to never forget that it was He who made us and not we ourselves. It's a dangerous age in which we live that religion has formed God into its image rather than us being formed into the image of God. In the book of Genesis chapter 1, and verse number 27, the scripture plainly declares to us that God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female. God created man in his image. Man was formed after the likeness of God. The word image is familiar to us today, but the meaning of the word has leaked away so that now it connotes virtually the opposite of its former meaning of likeness. You know, today a politician can hire an image maker. The job applicant dresses 
for a particular image in which they wish to portray so that they may be hired. Corporations spend billions of dollars a year so that they can portray the right image to society. In all of these usages tonight, if I may present to you the word image has become an illusion of what something is presented to be rather than the essence of what it really is. I feel like telling you tonight that we must reinforce the importance of knowing our Creator and the fact that it was we who were created in His image and that the original meaning of the word image is as an exact likeness, not a deceptive illusion. We must return to the concept as the children of God of likeness to understand the image of God is what we are intended to carry in the earth. I fear that we desire to present the kind of God that we want Him to be to society and therefore sell the concept that God wants you in the church so badly that you can make Him whatever you want Him to be. And then he will form himself to the image of your theology. And that is how the kingdom of God will be formed in this end time. You know, you and I can get an understanding of what an image is. We can catch glimpses of that. For instance, when I gaze at a nerve cell through a microscope, we can look at this beautiful image in which God created and see the image of that nerve cell. But as we study the neuron in which we see in this image, it's where we understand that we are not looking at the neuron itself, but rather the image that is faithfully reproduced for my eye to see that. It is in this case in a projected image that is now larger than it was that the image enhances rather than distorts the essence of the cell. I'm taking you somewhere right now. The closer you look at the cell, the more you see the true essence of what it is. As the Spirit of God surveys our hearts in a microscopic fashion and knows the thought and the intent of our heart, God sees the essence of who we really are. What we portray in public is often not a faithful reproduction of who we truly are, but rather what we want people to see. And it is a fact that if you were to look at 99% of this room tonight, it would certainly be our outward desire to express the image of God in which we were created. But I wonder what would happen tonight should the Holy Ghost begin to survey the inward part of the man and could see the essence of who we truly are. Not as we sit together in heavenly places in the house of God, but who we are when we're all by ourselves and nobody else is there to cheer us on 
and nobody else is there to applaud us. I wonder tonight, would we faithfully reproduce the image in which we were created? Or rather, would we present the image in which we want God to be to some way, somehow justify the sinful nature that's within us? But I'm telling you that when God created man in his image, he did that for a reason and a purpose. Yet as sin marred the image of man, it became the desire of man that God's judgment would not be passed on him upon the marred image. And over time, man began to some way, somehow change the image of God. And now in the 21st century, we preach about a God that wants you to just come to him like you are. And he wants you to just be happy. And he wants to just accept you in your condition. But I've come to tell some Holy Ghost filled child of God tonight that Calvary was not for me to present to God who I am and stay who I am. But Calvary was absolutely to purchase my redemption so that I'm not who I used to be and I have become a new creature. It's incredible to think that God was so mindful of us that he created us in his image. I would like for you to walk down the road of logic tonight with me if somehow you could do that and think about a 10-pound bundle of protoplasm squirming joyfully in a blanket. His father... Weighs 15 times as much as he does and has a vastly larger range of ability and personality. Yet as he stands there gleaming, holding that beautiful child of which he is so proud, the mother somehow forms the words on her tongue and says, just look at him. He is a spitting image of his father. Somebody in the room is trying to be kind and find the image of the father in the child. But in their heart, they know it looks just exactly like what they dreamed an alien would look like. It was going to be embarrassing to her, I'm certain. But Lauren was our first child. She's 16 this week, turned 16 yesterday. And when Lauren was born... Thank you. That's all right. When Lauren was born, her ear was stuck to her face. And when I looked at it, she was a beautiful child. She was perfectly healthy. No problems whatsoever. But when the doctor handed her to me and her ear was stuck to the side of her head, the first thing... (laughs) The first thing that I noticed was not her beauty... I said, oh no, we've got to fix that. And all of a sudden, her little ear just flopped right up. And I said, oh, thank God, she's normal. As soon as the doctor handed the child to me, I started counting fingers. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I said, thank God, she has ten fingers. Well, eight technically, and two thumbs. 
I started counting her piggies and thanked God Almighty that she was going to be able to stand on her own two feet someday. Yes, when I looked in her face and they got her all cleaned up, the resemblance did exist. Now it begins to exist in a dimple or a slightly flared nostril, the peculiar earlobe that looks somewhat like the image of the Father. Long before mannerisms of speech and posture and a thousand other mathematic traits that are developed in the life of this child ever come to fruition, we began to see unmistakably the image of the Father in the child. I tell you tonight that I have never been more blessed than to look at my children and see them do the good things that I do. Sometimes I get really nervous when I see them do the good things in front of me because I hope that they never do the bad things when they're not in front of me. Not that I ever did anything bad. I was like John Baptist. I received the Holy Ghost in my mother's womb. When you look at a child that's born into this world, Genesis 1 and 27 is usually not the first thing that crosses your mind. That the child in which you are holding has been created in the image of God. Yet knowing the scripture, the incomparable understanding that we are fearfully and we are wonderfully made. We are wondrously strange and unique. Yet we all bear the image of our Father. It's not that we look like Him. That we share His characteristic features of His eyebrows or His earlobes. For God is an invisible spirit. But philosophers and theologians have long speculated on all that could be contained within the mystery of the single phrase that we are made in the image of God. Predictably, they tend to draw their own conclusions and project their own definitions. The principal concerns of their time and era become very clear by what it is they manifest in their theological idea of who He is because then that transforms who we are. As you change the image of God, then man can be whatever His image is to you. It usually happens over time and space and dispensation for the Enlightenment age assures us that the image of God is the ability for us to reason, the pietists identify it as the spiritual faculty. The Victorians claim it has the capacity to make moral judgments. And the Renaissance thinkers locate the image of God in artistic creativity. Well, what about our psychologically developed and dominated age? Or should I say psychotically dominated age? What could the image of God possibly be? Well, you know, it's kind of interesting because you've got one group that says he is a judgmental figure that sits on the throne ready to damn and condemn. 
and strike down lightning on everything that moves and breathes in the wrong way. Others set him upon a throne and say, don't you know the Bible says the Lord doesn't judge? I'm still trying to find that one. It's like there is no happy meeting. Brother Jordan, it's like one is the antithesis of the other. It's like one is that he is simply judgment and the other, he is simply love. But what we understand according to John chapter 1 and verse 14, that the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Watch this now, full of grace and truth. Not a balance of the two. Full of both. It is true that he is a God of love and that he wants us to find somehow a sense of happiness and perfection in our lives. It is also true that he is not just a God full of grace, but he is a God that's full of truth. And when he looks at the image in which I portray, he has every right to look at me and convict my soul and convict my heart and say there are things in you that I would like to extract Oh my, my, that I would like to extract out of you because they are forming you in another image that is not like my image. Can I tell you tonight that God is not just a good balance of grace and truth. He is full of both. It is the understanding that the truth is I'm a dirty, rotten scoundrel. That's the truth. But his grace moved in and said, I made a way through Calvary that you can be reformed. Uh, man, in his creation, was literally the consummation of all creation. In the creation account, God creates everything today that tomorrow will need. He made sure that in the first five days he created everything that man would need because on that sixth day he made something that it was unlike anything else that he had ever made before. All of creation was bound to the word of God to respond to the word of God because that was the creative nature that was in everything that was created until that sixth day when the potter reaches down into the clay and he begins to form and mold the image of which he wants. You know, if I were to sit down at a potter's wheel, it would be laughable, the product that I would present to you by the end of my session on the wheel. I am not artistic when it comes to using my hands in that kind of a way. If I were to sit down and try to draw for you an artistic masterpiece, by the time I got finished, it would be a miracle if you could even make out that it was a stick figure family. I'm not artistic in that way. I have a beautiful piece of pottery that I use every morning of my life that I'm home. It's a piece of clay. It is a piece of pottery that was formed by Jay Mills 
in southern Indiana. My mother purchased it. It's a coffee mug for me. She purchased it for me back in 2002. It's become a prized possession for me because Mr. Mills has now passed away. And I hold within my hands every morning something that can never be reproduced. If you were to walk into the little pottery shop where his wife now runs in Brown County, you would see that there are several pieces of pottery there that are somewhat like the one that I have. But only that potter knew when he put his hands to the wheel and he began to form that piece of clay that in my hands it could do nothing. But for now, since 2002, until this day, it is a vessel that every morning of my life, it is something that brings me enjoyment when I put that Uh, dark uh, caffeinated water and nectar of life in it and put a little bit of uh, creamer in there and the blessings of God start flowing you know what I am not a potter but this is one thing I know when that man sat down at the potter's wheel he didn't sit down to make a bowl he did not sit down to make a serving tray he sat down with purpose in his mind he had a thought and he had an intent God help us and he began to form something in his mind that he knew at some point somebody would pick up that vessel and find use in it and it would be something that you could refresh them with. I've never claimed to be a potter tonight so I don't plan on forming God in my image but I am ever grateful that the great potter reached down into the clay and the dust of the earth and when he began, oh mama. Uh, uh. the only part of creation that bears the image of God there is nothing else that bears the image of God in creation like mankind yet even in our sinful state We have formed God by our ideas of what we think that he should be. We have received his image. We possess what no other creation or animal does. We are linked in our essence. The very created nature of who we are. We are connected to God. God later discusses in Genesis 9 and 6 this very fact with Noah. When the image of God looms up again as a decisive and awesome demarcation. When he says to Noah, you know what? He says, killing an animal means one thing. But killing your brother is an entirely different matter. Because that animal was made by the word of God. But your brother was made in the image of God. There is something that's got to get a hold of our hearts. And that is that you are not the only thing that's roaming the earth. That bears the essence and the image of God. But you have a brother. And you have a sister. That too bear the mark and the image of God. And we must handle our brother. And we must handle our sister. Not as though they are an animal of another species. But in realizing that just as you are humanity. And you in your own heart.
your nature have the ability to sin and make mistakes we must have the ability within our hearts to learn how to live in unity with our brother Noah it's one thing for you to kill an animal but when you touch your brother you are touching the image of God can I tell you that amazing things happen when God's children get together and we come together in a spirit of unity and when the day of Pentecost was fully come they were all together in one place and they were there with one mind they were there with one accord when the likeness of God comes together with the image of God in a brother it moves heaven There is, there is no way that you and I could ever understand the value of one soul. I hope that over the last few weeks, God has worked on our hearts and our souls to let us know that it is not just about coming together and sitting in a church house. But that person you walk by and look down on with disdain down your nose that has needle tracks in their arms. That smells like a walking ashtray. Their breath absolutely smells like it's going to knock you over with alcohol. I want to tell you right now that adulterous woman that you walk by and look down on because she had five or six kids and none of them look like they've got the same daddy. Do you understand that when you raise your nose to them and say they're not worth it, that you are absolutely turning your nose up. Oh, God, help me right now. You are turning your nose up to the image of God. God created that woman. This is not about filling up a church with more rear ends and more seats and building bigger buildings. This is an understanding that every human being that is breathing oxygen tonight, they are the image of God. And though that image may be marred, they deserve the opportunity to know that Calvary was enough to repair the image. Now, O Lord, thou art our father. We are the clay. And thou art potter. And we are all the work of thy hand. FPC, I want to tell you something tonight. That I want to become a part of the fabric, the fiber, the makeup of who you are. And the cadence and rhythm of which you walk to. And that is there is no body in this earth that deserves to go to hell. And there is no body in this earth that deserves the goodness of God that you have been shown. And if for no other reason, if for no other reason in the world, we ought to want to tell somebody that doesn't deserve his goodness, that we didn't deserve his goodness either. And because he's been so good to us. It's not because of any good thing that I've done. But it's because of his grace.
grace that I'm able to be seated with him in heavenly places. I thank God that even though my image was marred, God was able to restore me to his image. God is looking for is a sincere heart that doesn't mind being honest. I'm going to jump out here tonight and just talk to you from my heart for a moment and tell you that all of us could use a good dose of sincerity. Sincerity will make you repent. If there's even a question that you're out of alignment with the image of God. You know the word sincerity actually was a word that was birthed out of the art of pottery. If I could say it like that. It was a word that potters used in ancient days. It's derived from two different words. Sign and ser. Word sincere. And by literal definition it simply means... Without wax. When a potter would take his finest work. He would set it out. It was a piece of art. A piece of art. A piece of pottery. That had not been broken. He would set it out on the counter. On the. Beautiful stocked aisles. Of his potter's shop. And if it was a vessel that had never been broken, he would write, sign, Sarah. And when people walked in, Bishop, they knew this was the top shelf stuff. It was stuff that had never been broken before. Yet he had, on the other side of the room, some imperfect items. That perhaps, in the making of it, in the making of it, there was a mark in it. That he wasn't super proud of. And he had an art that was almost as amazing as the original art of making the piece of pottery. Which he would take a piece of wax. And he would work that into the clay. And then he would paint it to match the color that had been forged on it beforehand in the fiery furnace. And if you read this at first it's really disheartening. Because you and I both know that we were born in sin. And what was it? Oh, that's right. Shapen. Isn't that a unique word? Just like he meant it to be there. That the hand of the potter. Shapen. But something else has formed me. It was shapen in iniquity. I'm so imperfect. So it leads us to understand that in our original state. We're not top shelf. (laughs) Sorry. I know some of you were born that way, but I'm not one of them. None of us are sincere. None of us are waxless. None of us are paintless. Oh, God. But there is something so supernatural that no finite mind can fully comprehend that transpires it astounded 
Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. In John chapter 3, in the middle of the night, when Jesus said to him, Nicodemus, you must be born again. I'm, I'm sorry, I don't understand. I'm an old man. I'm already formed. I'm already shaping. How do I get a do-over? Shall a man enter into his mother's womb a second time? It's almost like you can hear Jesus chuckle. Nicodemus, marvel not that I said unto you that a man must be born again. Because Nicodemus, that which is born of the flesh... Come on, y'all help me now. It's what? It's flesh. It's waxed. It's insincere. That which is born of the flesh, it's flesh. But that which is born of the Spirit, it's Spirit. And Nicodemus, if you want to see or enter the kingdom, You must be. Oh, my, my. Can I help somebody here tonight? Pastor, I was born into a family that was godless. I did not have a mother that served the Lord. I did not have a father that served the Lord. That's right. They were insincere. They were marked. And because of that, you had a mark on you. But marvel not that I say unto you tonight... I had some things happen to me in my childhood that marred my image and messed me up. And now I've got tendencies in my life. I was born with tendencies. For a man to love a man and a woman to love a woman, I was born this way. I was born with tendencies to feel like that I'm a woman that's trapped in a man's body. I was born with a tendency to believe that I'm a man that's trapped inside of a woman's body. And there's nothing you can say about it, preacher, because I was born this way. Marvel not when I say unto you, you must be born again. I don't believe that science will ever prove that that's really the way that you're born. But I've got good news for you, sweetheart. If by chance you're still confused about the way you were born the first time, I've got good news for you. When you're born again, you take on a whole new nature. The apostle Paul said it like this. Behold, all things have passed away and all things have become new. I'm declaring to somebody tonight that feels so insincere. Like you're full of marks and you're full of scars. There is sincerity and there is truth tonight that can begin to mold you again. I'm not saying that you're not going to bear scars from your past and that you're not going to have to carry the weight of some of the things that you've been through. But the part I love about it is when the enemy looks at me through the blood, he cannot see my faults. He cannot see my failures. 
He can't see what I used to be. The blood has made me different. When I went down in a watery grave of baptism, the potter's hand reached down again and formed me in his image. Shall we stand tonight, church? I'm sorry for all you perfect people tonight. But I want to tell you, I still need his blood. I still need his name. I still need his hand to work on me. I still need him to work out the imperfections. I'm not trying to conform him to my image. I want to be conformed to the image of his likeness. took him just a week to make the moon and the stars the sun and the earth Jupiter and Mars how loving and patient he must be he's still he's still He's still working on my heart. He's still working on my mind. Come on, somebody. He's still working on this church. He's still working on our image. We got to be so careful the kind of image that we portray to this world. Because some of them are going to believe. That that is the image of God. I never understood why out of one breath someone would preach and teach the power of Calvary and the blood of Jesus. And then when the altar call is over, the same mouth would advance the thought and the idea that God does not expect you to change. Isn't that something? We'll put a cross on our car, but then disregard the power of the cross in our lives. Some have really got intentional now, and they put a cross on their body so the whole world can see. I'm tattooed for Jesus. The marking on your skin or the sticker on your car, the little fish by your license plate does not speak of his image. But the way that you carry yourself in this present world, realizing that this is not where you belong, but, <laughs> but that you are a pilgrim and you are a stranger. And while we pass through this land, we are not here to conform a new kind of God. But we are here to conform ourselves back to his image. And to take everybody with us that we can. Because there is coming a day, I hope, in the not so distant future. That the scripture said we are going to see him like 
He is. You know what we're going to see? We're going to finally see the image. We're going to see his face.